Hey, it's Johanna Maska, and this week on Press Advance, August recess ends. Congress will soon be back in session. But ahead of that, one congressional member, George Santos, has another day in court. It's been interesting to watch the fallout of George Santos. On the midterm election night, 2022, few people knew who George Santos was. And the truth is, I don't think we still know who George Santos is. But before his story started to unravel, he had set up an office, he had hired a team. And that team included his now former communications director, Nasa Woomer. Nasa had worked for multiple congressional leaders and a governor. She accepted a job to work for a congressional leader she thought, based on his campaign, would be a more moderate Republican, outside of the mold of traditional. He told her he wanted a national profile. And before she even got to the office for the first time, a New York Times investigative story gave him just that. Turns out Santos hadn't graduated from the college that he said he graduated from. He hadn't held any of the jobs he said he had had, and his basic family facts started crumbling. Nasa found herself now standing next to someone she didn't really know. She tried to do the job she was hired for until she realized she couldn't take it anymore. She has not told her story on a podcast, but we wanted to talk to Nasa to learn more about what she experienced and how we can prevent having someone like a George Santos fool people again, regardless of party. I had to start by asking Nasa to relive her first day in office. You know, usually when you're starting a new job, especially on the Hill, you have to go to the ID office and go get your ID badge. Um, for me, it was having a very small press pool that you know hung out in front of our office, ready to talk to the new. Con- well, he's still a congressman elect because we have not sworn in anyone because we still had to vote for the speaker of the house. So while everyone is getting their IDs, I'm already dealing with the press, and so. I have not actually, at that time, it had been almost five years since I had been on the Hill. So I had to try and reacquaint myself with Longworth, which is where his office is located. And um, the one thing that, you know, I wanted to do when it was time for him to go to the Capitol to vote was I needed to walk with him because, you know, as a communications staffer, usually it's best to walk with a member in case there are roving reporters so that you can hear what they're saying. Well, in this case, um, I kind of got pushed away and they all chased him down a hall and I could not get to him in time. And it was just, did not expect this to be my first day. And I thought, well, this is going to be a fun week. I mean, so basically, (laughs) so basically you'd spent five years, five years ago, you had been in Congress, then you went and worked for governor and then you came back Mm -hmm. to a very different situation. I mean, this is post Donald Trump. It's a new media environment. You're working for someone whose story had started to come out. You're trying to do your job, and there's already a gaggle of press standing outside. Then go into Kevin McCarthy, of course, trying to get the speakership, (laughs) which lasted for days. (laughs) Yes, it did. Before I left for Boston, um, I... Uh, Paul Ryan was Speaker of the House. Yeah. So I remembered the day that uh, Speaker Boehner had decided to step down, which surprised everybody. It had happened literally a day or two after um, Pope Francis had come to D.C. and did a joint address. So 
I just remember that just be taking just a few days. And that was just so we could narrow down who would potentially be the next Speaker of the House. And yeah. that was, you know, pretty quick. And we moved forward. This, it started, I think it started on a Tuesday and then ended in Saturday at 2 a.m. So that was wild. It Watching was, it, it, was, <laughs> it was wild. And, you know, it was it, 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 this notion of this resistance and everybody's individuality, mm-hmm. you know, this has grown over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's been uh, both parties like have a pride now in mm-hmm. having this resistance. And so this is growing. And now you got this new brand new congressman. The first day, did you ask him what's true and what's not true? I did not have time for that. It was, I mean, it was just completely, it was pure chaos. And this was actually, the interesting thing is this is the first time I actually met George Santos in person. Mm. I had interviewed for the position while I was still in Boston. So my interactions were just through Zoom. Mm. So never in person. Or just phone calls between um, after accepting the job and then um, anything leading up to January 3rd, which was my first day in his office. Yeah. So I just remember him coming in. We went into the office and I remembered him saying, what do we do? I will take any advice and you know, guidance from you of how we move forward. And How I, we handle this yes, situation. Yes, exactly. And, and so I and thought- And he knew he had lied. He knew. He knew. I think the biggest problem I had, especially after the Times story came out, you know, there was nothing I could do because, you know, when you're a newly elected member of Congress, you're only allowed one transition aide. And that was the campaign manager turned chief of staff. Got it. And I was still working for um, the Baker administration. So there's absolutely nothing I can do at this point other than potentially advise on the side off when I'm not working. Do you know, did he get calls about the story? I presume that he or his campaign manager were getting calls about the story from the New York Times. So I presume they were. I Well, the campaign manager slash turn chief of staff had, in fact, called me. It was the Friday before the story broke, which happened on a Monday. I, I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget that day. But um But he had called me and said that, just a heads up, there's going to be a story that the New York Times will be running. It's a hit piece on George. And I immediately thought, oh, okay, it's probably because this is a Republican who flipped a a blue... A Democratic seat. Yeah, a Democratic seat. So that's the only thing I could think of was just, all right, so it's just going to be a regular hit piece on a Republican flipping a Democrat seat. But I did ask him, is there anything that I should be aware of going forward? And the only thing that that he was aware of and I thought was incredibly innocuous was that George had been married to a woman. And I thought, okay, that's not a big deal. There are a lot of gay men and gay women who were married to the opposite sex and probably came from conservative homes. And I thought, there's no big deal. Right. (laughs) Well, fast forward to three days later, the story comes out and multiple people are sending me the link saying, did you read this? And I thought, yes, of course I read it. Stop. (laughs) When people ask that of a communication (laughs) director, it's like, yes, I did read it. Send me, did you see this tweet? Did you see this? And it's just, you you do know what I do for a living, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I've seen it. I keep a finger on the pulse on many things. But um, I'm reading through the story and it just, I 
immediately called the campaign manager. I said, please tell me this is, you know, this is just a really bad hit piece. Like, this is defamation, right? And the only thing that was said was he and his attorney are going to handle this. They were getting, you know, the proof together. And so I just sat back and waited. Yeah. And then this vague statement was released by his attorney, misquoting Winston Churchill. And people were pointing that out. And I thought, oh, geez, I've, this is going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is not the first time that you'd worked on the Hill. No, it's not. (laughs) You were probably one of the most senior people in George Santos's orbit. Is that right? Yes, sadly, in age as well. I'm actually a couple years older than, than George Santos, which I thought, oh, Jeez, I'm feeling like an old millennial these days. But yes, I was. And um, compared to congressional normal ages, by the way, (laughs) you should say you're like a spring chicken. Well, I don't know. When I returned, I mean, I'm here seeing that there are legislative directors or communications directors who are 25. Yes. Yeah, the staff of a lot of these folks are actually very young. That's a very good point. And it, really blew my mind because you, you know, when I graduated from college, you would be lucky if you could be a legislative correspondent or even a legislative assistant by 25. Yeah. So it just, it really threw me into a a shock almost. Yeah. So um, that is actually an interesting dynamic that's kind of shifted is the congressional leaders are getting older and older. Their staff are getting younger and younger. mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't know whether to say no, right? Like I always thought in the White House, it was interesting because my impression were some people were like, yes, people. They'll do anything for a candidate regardless of whether it's wrong. And then there are others who want to provide their best counsel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some point you realize that your best counsel was not being listened to. So you were with George Santos from January until May. Correct. Tell me about the worst day. I would have to say the worst day for me was when we found out that George had to go back to New York to be arraigned. This came out of left field for me. I never thought that this would occur so quickly and just waiting to hear what the charges would be. But I had... Because he wasn't being honest with any of you guys, right? He wasn't telling you. He was saying it's just being handled by his lawyers. As a congressional staffer, it was best that I stayed away from anything legal that he had been going through, whether it was campaign or a legal matter. I chose to step away from any of that just because I wanted zero involvement. Well, and the truth is you were most concerned about the issues in the district. Correct. So, you know, throughout all of this, you know, bad days, it's like you were trying to represent the issues of the people in the district that he Mm -hmm. was chosen to represent. Mm -hmm. He was going back to the district, but this time to be arraigned. This time it was to be arraigned. I think he left a little after 4 p.m. on, I think it was a Monday, and the chief of staff had informed me of the situation and made a decision that the staff should leave now. We're going to work from home the rest of the week because we knew that this would involve another round of a media pool in front of our office. And it was best that you know the press would leave staff alone. But another concern for me was I did not want staff engaging with 
the press, especially right. something um, this incredible. This is it was very serious, and so the staff leaves, and then all of a sudden, my phone, both my work phone and my personal phone, just started to blow up, and then my inbox went from maybe two unread messages to uh, thirty-five within just a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. And both phones are blowing up saying, can you please confirm, has Congressman Santos been indicted? And it just started. And I just, I had said to the chief of staff, we need to go now, get out. Yeah. And I'm getting ready to pack up my stuff. And I walk out and there's the press. And they all just, but the worst part, and I always say that I'm definitely, I was one of the most ridiculed communication staffers on the hill, but they just followed me to the elevator and I'm waiting for the, it was the longest 15 seconds of my life. And you don't want to say anything because this is legal. It's legal and there's nothing I can do. So I'm just pushing the button, waiting for it to to open. Where is everybody? But I have cameras and everybody around me, and they're just yelling at me, saying, you're his communications director. You need to talk to us. Where is he? Is he going to jail? What is going on? And it's just, it was wrong. Yeah. You, if you want to, in media, if you want to go after the member or, you know, it's their situation, do not speak to the staff. Well, this is a scenario in which the campaign Mm -hmm. had misrepresented. George Santos personally was under indictment. This was not a matter of him as a congressman. This was a matter of him individually. It was the abuses that he had had. Is that right? It had everything to do with him prior to being a member of Congress. This had absolutely nothing to do with the congressional office whatsoever. And I was his communications director for Congressman George Santos, not, you know, as the member, not as campaign or anything prior. So when the elevator finally opened, did they all get inside with you? It was, (laughs) (laughs) no, it was a small elevator in Longworth that goes straight to the tunnel towards Cannon. So it was just too small. I mean, I got in and immediately just hit the button, like, close. You're from Pennsylvania originally. Mm-hmm. You grew up in, you know, more conservative family, is that right? Or conservative area? A conservative area. I'm always definitely a Republican family, for sure. I, I wouldn't say super ultra conservative by any means. Right. But yes, but Republican. But you had wanted to do big things. I mean, what motivated you to go to the Hill originally? I guess I've always just had that fascination with politics. And it started with Bush 41. That's where the fascination started. And then, of course, growing up watching movies like The American President. And then, of course, what spoiled us all was The West Wing. And you realize this is kind of what I want to do. I want to be a part of this. And then I had the opportunity to intern for former Senator Rick Santorum, and I just enjoyed it. I truly enjoyed it. And it's fast paced. It's just everyone has a passion in life. And this was one that, you know, I really just, you know, I enjoyed it. And I know it's such a cliche to say, but if you're walking out of whether it's Cannon or Russell on the Senate side, and you look at the Capitol building, you think, well, this is really cool. That's when you know it's the right fit. Yeah. And the sad part while working for 
George Santos was that I lost that feeling when I walked out. And I, you know, and that's because I always say the day that you should, you do not appreciate looking at the Capitol is the day you should walk away. But that to me was the worst part. It's just something that I truly loved. I walked out and I looked at it and thought, mm, hi. <laughs> you know, Nasa, you and I were talking beforehand. And one of the things I found interesting was you had said, you know, George Santos wanted this national profile. Correct. Now he had this national profile. And so your suggestion was apology tour and lift up the things that matter in the district. What were the people in the district struggling with? What were the issues that he could have drawn attention to with this new national profile? I think there are a lot of things that he could have done, especially with water contamination is one of the biggest problems being faced on Long Island, um, especially in his district. He had met with local mayors in his district. They were actually putting their any type of political opinion aside, because this was, you know, this is a human problem. And Mm -hmm. so something that they can receive some sort of assistance at the federal level. And so right there is a problem that was truly being faced by his constituents. And I actually I drafted an op ed on the situation I draft he actually gave a floor speech on water contamination. uh, And what his constituents were facing in each town and actually had worked with environmental activists who were specializing or just being extremely vocal on this issue alone. Another issue was the state and local taxes. Mm. New York is probably one of the top states in the country that is has a major or have high state and local taxes. And Nassau County alone is number eight in the country or county in the country for high state and local taxes. And one of his first bills that he introduced had to do with increasing the cap on state and local for individual tax filers. And these are things that he could have, I wanted him to talk about more than just, rather than the Nicki Minaj bill or whatever it was. It's just, you know, focus on things that actually impact your constituents and less on clickbait. So there were (laughs) issues that you were hoping to work on. Mm-hmm. George Santos was a co-sponsor yes, for a bill yes. on, <laughs> on making an assault rifle the national weapon of America. Yes. And I remember, yes, <laughs> I remember that I actually was with him in the district when he told me what he did. It was, oh, by the way, we might get a little press. I am co-sponsoring a bill to make the AR-15 the national gun and I just remembered asking him, why? Yeah. Like, do you know how to hold a gun, let alone use an AR-15? Yeah. And I just, what is in the bill? And I didn't get any of that. And I thought, you know, I ended up looking it up. And then I walked over and I just said, Thomas Massey was actually one of my former bosses, by the Mm -hmm. way. He founded the Second Amendment Caucus. And someone who actually whether you agree with him on Second Amendment or not, is someone who, he's a responsible gun owner. Right. And I, is Thomas Massey on this bill? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, if the founder of the Second Amendment caucus is not on this bill, that to me says this is not responsible legislation. So, and it just, that's when I realized this is clickbait. Yeah. It's to get attention. And his constituents were absolutely furious over it. 
Yeah. And rightfully so. That Because they elected what they thought was a moderate congressman. And now you yes. have a peacock who's basically decided to introduce a bill to, you know, give the assault rifle a distinction, which is quizzical. It, it Yes, that's a great way to put it. I... <laughs> Again, I was just incredibly surprised by it. And, you know, you signed on to something that you did not review and could not give me a real explanation as to why you chose to be on this other than it would give you attention. And one of the things that you should be doing as a member of Congress is that you should be taking votes on things to see how they will directly impact your constituents specifically. Because he made it very clear that he is for supporting, you know, increasing caps for state and local taxes, things like that. I mean, these those are the times you should always break away from your party, not go with the cool kids, I right. guess is the best way right. to put it. And, and that's kind of what he did. And to watch, again, his constituents had another excuse to have a protest in front of his district office. And this time around, it was because these were concerned mothers who were absolutely furious over this legislation and asked for him to remove his name as a co-sponsor, but he never did. So that's my frustration, right, is, and I've seen this happen so many times, Nasa. There are people who who say that they're Democrats. There are people who say that they're Republicans, and they're Mm -hmm. actually just power hungry, and they're using their office to benefit themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we've seen this media environment kind of give them more power, mm-hmm. more oxygen because we chase them and because we give them all this attention. Meanwhile, these stories about these mothers or the people who want to help these mothers don't get as much oxygen. And mm-hmm. George Santos still has his job, but you resigned from yours four months ago. You have subsequently been, you know, figuring out what you want to do next. Mm -hmm. What do you think George Santos should do? What's his future? I think that will have to be up to his constituents, and that will be next. They're not going to reelect. Can we just can we just say like never say never assume? Like I don't. I won't. Please God. I'm not going to hit the the table, but knock on wood. Yeah. I mean, the, we, this is this is the challenge, though, right? It is like, the this challenge. Is the challenge we're facing is that absolutely the, people are continuing to get reelected. I mean, if mm-hmm. we look at Lauren, Lauren Boebert, mm-hmm. Lauren Boebert, before she was going through divorce proceedings, before her son was abused by her husband, her her husband exposed himself in front of a bowling alley, and yet we, for some reason, elect her and think she's a responsible human being. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene is another person who, you know, she's going through a divorce proceeding, and I guess that she had an affair with a tantric sex guru, but for whatever reason, some of the issues that she's talking about are restricting other women's choices, which is like, very questionable. And believe you me, there's plenty throughout like the history of America, Democrats and Republicans, who've really fooled people and it's not okay, right? You know, I've seen too many good people mm-hmm. like yourself, like just trying to do your job mm-hmm. for the constituents, lose the job, 
not have, I mean, you didn't lose the job. You left the job, right? Like, let's be I clear. Left. You <laughs> left and you were, wrote a letter explaining that you didn't want to be there. And Very that publicly. He, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, but a lot of us, I mean, I did it when I left the Obama administration in 2015. I was jaded and I wanted to just leave Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to stay involved because, God, the power-hungry people drive you crazy. And then I realized, um, you know, I thought Trump would get elected, sadly, and I watched it happen. And I realized that if we let just those who are power-hungry and craven mm-hmm. stay in it, and we don't have all of us who actually genuinely care about the issues mm-hmm. involved, then we all lose. I couldn't agree more on that. I mean, one of the things, and I, I can't speak for, I'm only going to speak about George Santos in this regard, but I always say we should never assume that a person's not going to get elected or reelected because they are far to the left or far to the right. And in this case with, with George Santos, the, you know, he ran in 2020. So this was not his first time running for Congress. And I mean, the first time around, he he ran. I believe uh, Tom Swasey was still an incumbent uh, member of Congress. But then in 2022, it was an open seat because Swasey chose to run in a Democrat primary against uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, and so it was a clean slate for both uh, the Republicans and the Democrats. But because it's a D plus, I believe it's a D plus three district, that also got slightly redrawn and allowed Nassau County to come in a little bit more. So here we have pockets of Republican voters who are in New York three. So that was an advantage for him. Right. But the biggest advantage, and I, we talked about this before we began was um, Lee Zeldin was running for governor and Lee Zeldin being from Long Island is incredibly popular. And that also helped carry him to victory in 2022 because Kathy Hochul's numbers were not so pleasant on Long Island, but Lee Zeldin carried it for for George, and but it also helped people like um, Anthony Desposito, Nick Lolota, and and others. Mm-hmm. And then of course it's a midterm, so it's yeah. Republicans' time to shine. <laughs> well, and that was the thinking, right, going into that night. It was a little more mixed, but. The other thing I think when people just think about the nationalization of politics, and this is something we've talked about on press advance before, Mm -hmm. when you're just paying attention to the presidential race and you're not paying attention to the local races, like the number one, the local races, the people who are your mayor and your city council Mm -hmm. and your school board, they actually matter far more than the president does to your everyday life. And we don't give enough coverage to that. But a lot of people go to the poll for whoever's at the top and they just check yes to the Republican. And the Democrats yes. did not do their own research on George Santos, <laughs> which is a whole other problem. That, yes, that's a whole other problem right there. I mean, you have, and again, I, as I just mentioned, he ran in 2020. This all could have been prevented back, you know, three or four years ago. Yeah. When and I And going forward, though, for both Republicans and Democrats, vetting candidates is going to change the playing field completely. Because we always, when we hear someone say, I graduated from the University of Michigan, yeah, you assume that they have. If they say they worked, whether it's, you know, they were a CEO of a 
Fortune 500 company or down to the day they flipped burgers at McDonald's when they were in high school. That's all going to be checked now. I I hope. I wouldn't be surprised if they start even, you know, I was a lifeguard in high school. So if I ran for office, you can call up where I lifeguarded. I mean, the FBI literally, when I worked in the White House, they went to Pizza Hut where I worked and (laughs) talked to the people in Pizza Hut. Like, we can do it. We don't for elected leaders, right? We expect that that stuff's going to come out in the campaign. Yes, and it should. I was a former communications director for the Republican Party of Massachusetts. And these were things that we also, we checked on um, and we kept checks and balances, not just with the Democrats, but even with Republican candidates, because you have to be prepared for anything on their end as well. I mean, we're all human. There may be a candidate who may have accidentally at a time forgot to pay, was late on a mortgage or forgot to pay a local tax bill of some sort that could have just been an honest slip. But these are things that we need to know Do you think there's too much money involved in politics? Because that's one of my premises is you've got all this money flooding the zone. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if the RNC thinks that a seat can be picked up by a Republican that was Mm -hmm. a Democrat seat, it doesn't really matter who's Mm -hmm. the RNC candidate. They're now in that seat. They're going to flood the zone of money. And let me be very clear. That's what the Democrats do, too. Mm-hmm. Democrats mm-hmm. realize that, you know, maybe it's this seat in California that used to be a Republican seat and they think that they can flip it. It doesn't really matter who they've mm-hmm. nominated as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. They're going to flood the zone with money. And then it becomes this national campaign instead mm-hmm. of like, oh, I know that person because they help as a volunteer in the library Mm -hmm. or they've been involved in the, you know, public schools as a, you know, PTA representative or Mm -hmm. something like that. (laughs) Well, one thing that both parties, you know, should focus on, and I remember this, and again, going back to my home state of Pennsylvania, is that the DCCC would focus on, say, Brian Fitzpatrick's district, Mm -hmm. which is Pennsylvania 1. And they always think they can flip this seat. Well, Brian Fitzpatrick's a very, very popular, moderate Republican in that district. There's no way you can flip the seat until the day he decides to no longer run for Congress again or chooses to go to um, something more statewide or whatever the case is. But the DCCC always pumps in a lot of money to try and flip the seat. And it's a lost cause. Second, and the other one was um, Congressman uh, Matt Cartwright's district, just a little north of Philadelphia in the Lehigh Valley area. The same thing, because it is a more Republican-ish district. Sorry, I used the word ish. (laughs) Republican-ish is a perfect descriptor. They're Democratic-ish. I mean, I wish, again, I wish these districts were drawn not by the people in power, but just by random, like, drawings, (laughs) and it was more equitable. But it's the same thing, you know, the NRCC, like they put in a lot of money for this district. It's very difficult to flip that seat as well, because this is a very popular congressman who in his constituents seem to be happy to reelect him as for the same in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where they reelect Brian Fitzpatrick. I don't want to say they're bad investments, but it's just you could be putting more uh, funding to help, you know, flip seats in more um doable districts would yeah. be the best way I would describe it. And so that's just a mistake right there. And I, I shouldn't say it's a mistake, but it's just you should look for other places in the country where you're going to be able to um, really flip a seat. And, you know, 
I think in New York, for instance, they were able to flip seats successfully. Yeah. And meaning the Republicans were. Right. So. Well, and it is. I mean, this is the like targeting of these different seats. And again, it's all about who ends up in the position of power, who can, Mm -hmm. you know, put together more legislation, who Mm -hmm. gets control over that. At the end of the day, George Santos right now is helping Kevin McCarthy keep a very slim majority. Mm-hmm. Do you think Kevin McCarthy, if at some point we realize, you know, George Santos is all of these problems, right? Like, I don't know how much longer we need to wait, but <laughs> George Santos is all of these problems. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's worth the power to keep him in the caucus? So Speaker McCarthy has definitely, I think, done all the correct things in terms of how to handle this situation. It's obviously it's been very difficult. The fact that Republicans have a very slim majority in the House, but he has done the right thing by one. He gave George many opportunities to, you know, correct things, make it right. But also by choosing to defer to the House Ethics Committee to put through, you know, put in a proper investigation of the congressman and determine whether or not these allegations are in fact true, I think that just allows for a proper process for him to review what has happened. Mm -hmm. And so rather than just saying, you're out, you have to make sure that you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's because if there's even just a slim razor thin accuracy that, you know, this was in fact true or, or whatever, that could hurt him as Speaker of the House if he kicks out a member, even if, let's say, there's just something that is, in I'm fact, true. Yeah. In, you know, that is I mean, true. George Santos is a person. What time did he get up? What time did he start checking emails? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> did he start writing early or later? It, it would just, I, oh, goodness. It was more, what time did I wake up to check emails? Um, oh, I remember I would. 6.30 in the morning, and I just thought, all right, so what What awaits my inbox right now? Or not just even my inbox, what, you know, text messages, questions, whatever the case is, um, because when I go to bed, everything is cleaned up and ready to go, and I wake up, and, oh, 35 yeah. new emails. And were they from George or were they from uh, press? Uh, press. <laughs> <laughs> So George was Press, just sitting there collecting or, his paycheck, and uh, was he was he doing the job? Yes and no. Um, yes, he's doing the job. I mean, obviously, he is going into work. He goes and votes and does all those things. But just remember, he also had he recused himself from committees, so the committee business is off the table. Mm. So that leaves room for constituent meetings and. This is an opportunity that you should be learning to media prep with with me. <laughs> and, you know, let's start cleaning up a little bit of this mess here, because one of the first things that should have happened was an apology tour. Yeah. Start talking to your constituents. Stop hiding. Start talking. That should have been one of the very, very first things. No matter how angry they are, you should be addressing your constituents and reassuring them that your personal life should not um, will not conflict with the job as a member of Congress. But you were suggesting that before you right. knew all of the stuff that was yes. going on. I mean, this is yes. the thing. <laughs> if you're going on an apology tour, George, if you're listening, you might just want to tell the whole truth. Like, as bad as it is, just tell it all. Yes, tell the truth. It Actually, it, it 
won't hurt you, I promise. Um, at this point. At this point. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm, you know, maybe it'll take, you know, sitting down in front of a judge and taking an oath to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. But no, I, the apology tour should, even if it was too late, it's it's never too late to apologize to your constituents. And he repeatedly has said, oh, I've apologized, and but also three octaves higher. Mm. So that was a problem right there. But it's just, no, you've never genuinely apologized. But also there's a lack of contrition. Yeah. And that is one of the biggest problems right there. If you're not showing any kind of contrition, your constituents can see it and it will make it difficult for you to not just to believe you, but also put their faith in reelecting you. Yeah. And meanwhile, those constituents still have dirty water. They have dirty water and they also, I mean, it's just, you have the Merchant Marine Academy, which is in his district. Who They have dilapidated buildings. There's um, issues right there with um, sexual harassment, sexual assault cases mm. that he could be highlighting a bit more. And that was actually brought to our attention by a local reporter on Long Island asking for comment. And he took the matter very, very seriously, actually. To be honest with you, he took it extremely seriously. And we had private meetings with um, members from the Biden administration to learn more about the report and, you know, what type of steps need to be taken from a legislative standpoint. And when you have the media on your side at this point, you should be, as I said, it's the Princess Diana moment. Use the media f- to highlight these problems. They're outside your door. You might as Literally. well talk to them. <laughs> well, by then, but- I well, I achieved my goal of having them go away eventually <laughs> because he finally sat down for the big interview, mm. which was with Piers Morgan. I'm just struck, not necessarily that a politician would lie, but that you would think no one would find out. Well, I'll, I'll humor you this. I ran in 2020 for the same exact seat um, for Congress. And I got away with it then, and I guess... Right. Well, that's honest. Stupid. So you thought, actually, they don't, they're not going to find out? No, I didn't think so. But to, to that effect, um, it's an embarrassing. It's, it's humbling to have to admit your faults as a human mm-hmm. being. Do you still think that George Santos is a redeemable human being? That would be a difficult question to answer just because I think anyone can be redeemable in some ways I well I don't know if everybody can be redeemable but if you want to be redeemable I guess would be the better choice of words yeah so in the beginning my impression was someone who he was someone who wanted to be redeemable and want to put things right but then between Bo and Yang impersonating him on Saturday Night Live, which I found incredibly funny. You're George Santos, and you've been all over the news lying about basically every part of your life. Maybe. Well, you, you lied about going to NYU. You did. You lied about working at Goldman Sachs. No, I filled the gold man sacks. You lied about your mom dying in 9-11? I think I said 7-11. No. <laughs> Uh, But just, you know, seeing your face on the cover of, you know, whether it's magazines or just being incredibly ubiquitous and, you know, you're just constantly in the news in some shape or form, whether it's good or bad. Well, in this case, bad. Yeah. It's just it was a never ending thing. And just having 
the media follow your every steps, whether you're walking out of the office to go vote or you're walking to your car, whatever the case is, there was just the fame kicked in. Yeah. And, you know, being a member of Congress, I felt like took an Irish exit and the fame entered in. Mm. So the peacocks of politics. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we're going to keep covering the peacocks of politics on press (laughs) advance here because I do hope we get back to the place where that volunteer who knows their stuff The person who actually helps people and also knows their stuff is able to get more power and the people who are just there for themselves can take an exit. We shall see. Yeah, we shall see. And my favorite thing to say is, you know, a lot of us, there are those who are in the business to govern and they're not there to obstruct. And in order for that to be successful, you need to surround yourself with people who are also in the business to govern as well. Well, thank you so much, Nasa, and thank, thank you, you to all of you who are joining us for Press Advance every week. We really appreciate you. As you know, uh, my motto is respect, empower, include. We want to know what you want to hear. So please reach out to us on social media. You can find me at Johanna Masca. Let us know what you think and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening. 